I read a verse. I read uh, verse 12 of James chapter 5 last week, um, and I included it in my message. And here's what that verse was, and I included it kind of at the tail end of the message. But above all, my brethren, and I, I pointed out that. But above all, that that was very curious, very odd. Of all the things he said, for him to come with. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. I included it at the tail end, but there's just way too much truth and revelation in this section to just kind of let it let it go by. Um, this is one of those passages. How many of you guys have read this? You either read it here in James or you read it in Matthew when it was Jesus saying it in Matthew 5. How many of you guys have read this and like, I'm not positive what it means. I'm not absolutely certain that I know what this means. Well, tonight I, we're just going to kind of dig in, and before we kind of move on, we're just going to kind of re-examine this. So I want to read that passage one more time. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. All throughout James, we have seen James make reference to to Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's constant. It's from start to finish in bits and pieces. In the middle there, it's just in huge chunks. But never in the book do we see him more, more closely quote Jesus from Matthew 5, from the Sermon on the Mount. The instruction that we just read is one of the most deliberate and clearest instructions that James has given us from that sermon. So let's read that, Matthew 5, 33-37. This is Jesus speaking. Again, you have heard the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. What reason would James have to instruct the church not to make oaths, not to make these vows? Had the church been going through Intense, ridiculous suffering? Absolutely. Because of that suffering that they had been through, we see a, a common occurrence, not just common to the church, but common to us today. The temptation to strike deals with God. The temptation to make oaths, to, to strike bargains with God. Do we ever do that? Have you ever done that? I've done it. Maybe you don't know what I mean. Lord, if you will just give me this one thing, I will serve you with all of my heart. Right? That's a bargain with God. That's a bartering with God. That's making a deal with God. This ain't let's make a deal. And God's not Bob Barker. Lord, if you 
will just do this one thing. I'll do this. Kara made a deal with God when she was younger. She's like, Lord, I will serve you after I've turned 21 and I've had the ability to go out there and party. And, and it, uh, just give me that, Lord. God got a hold of her life before that moment happened. Yeah, but she had made a deal with God. Lord, just give me this. I've heard of people that say, Lord, if you will give me this raise, I'll start tithing. And then they get the raise. And then they still don't tithe. Why? Because getting, getting the raise doesn't do away with fear or doubt or greed or any of the things that, that, that prevent us from returning the tithes to the Lord. What are, what are some of the other deals? What are some of the bargains we try and make with the Lord that we've made with the Lord's? Anybody? And every time, they never do that again. They never get drunk, right? Oh, no. No, that's right. Lord, if you get me through this night, I will never get drunk again. Anyone else? Lord, if if you get me, Lord, if you if that cop doesn't give me this ticket, then I won't speed again. See, I just asked the Lord to get me off the ticket, and I know darn well I'm going to speed again. The church had been going through intense suffering. They had been persecuted on all ends. They had endured things by people who were on the fringe of the church, who had an appearance of friendship but yet refused to give their all to the Lord. And what James is saying now is, do not make these ungodly oaths. Do not swear under any name, quoting Jesus, above heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your own head, but let your yeses be yes and noes be no. What he's basically saying is, serve God. Or don't serve God. But don't play games with Him. Say yes. Say no. Be intentional. Be definitive. But don't insult our Lord and King. And think that you can manipulate the Lord with some oath or some vow. That if the Lord comes through for you, if He shows you that He's worthy of your love, you're going to give Him your love. He shows you that, that he's worthy of your adoration, then you'll give the adoration. Clearly, New Testament people have tried this type of bargaining, and it just continues. Don't swear oaths. Don't bargain with God. Let your answers be firm. I get it. I get it. He's, he's made the point. But is there any connection to an issue that is so fundamental in that letter that James would make this statement, this all-encompassing, important statement by saying, but above all. Does anyone else find that an odd statement? But above all, don't do this. So I asked, is there a connection? Yes, there is. Throughout this entire letter to the church, there is a prevailing theme, chapter after chapter after chapter, segment after segment, challenge after challenge. 
throughout this entire letter, and that prevailing issue connects us to this issue of swearing oaths and making deals with God. And that is the issue of faith. The meaning of faith. The practice of faith. The demonstration of faith. From the very beginning of this, in chapter 1, verse 3, James has said, your faith is going to be tested and is currently being tested by all kinds of trials and suffering. And then three verses later in verse 6 of chapter 1, James says, Christians, put your faith in God. He talked about favoritism. We covered that. And it said, it's because of faith that we don't show favoritism. He talked about wealth and riches and this, this world this world system and, and kingdom principles and says it is faith that constitutes true riches. In James 2, 14 through 26, James went to great lengths to emphasize that genuine faith is to be practiced and demonstrated in good works. His whole plea is not just a plea for us to be religious people but men and women of faith. A faith that works. A faith that is demonstrated. So it's clear that the lack of faith that the church showed must have absolutely wrecked James. The act of swearing oaths and striking deals with God instead of just faithfully walking it out with him. Does this make sense now? The opposite of faith is sin. When we demonstrate our faith that we believe that God is who He says He is, even though the circumstances are right speak around us speak contrary to it, we walk it in faith. The lack of faith that the church showed to get to try and sway God through manipulation of oaths. James makes a statement in just a few verses prior that talks about God's compassion and mercy. God's compassion and mercy. That word for compassion is unique only to this passage in the entire Bible. He was going to great lengths to say, our God is compassionate and merciful. Guys, if we believe that God is compassionate and merciful, then we don't have to strike a deal with God. We don't have to try and manipulate him or, or make a bargain with him. We just walk in faith. Yes, Lord. No, Lord. James has been saying, be patient in your suffering. Remember the Lord is coming. Remember the examples of the prophets. Remember the perseverance of Job. Remember that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now he says, above all, don't fall into swearing as if you could manipulate God by your oaths. Instead, speak honestly and directly and rely on God in prayer. He's saying, don't allow suffering to pressure you into disbelief. Friends, I say the same thing today. Don't allow suffering to pressure us into disbelief. 
suffering isn't indicative of the Lord's compassion and mercy for us. The fact that he carries us through. The fact that we never have to walk through it alone. The fact that we can trust that at the other end, we will make it through the valley of the shadow of death and come out of that valley into a place of fulfillment and promise. That God will walk it with us. We're trusting in God's grace. We have no need to impress people and we have no need to impress God. What do I mean by that? To impress God. We can't earn any, any additional love from the Lord than what He currently has given us. There's no greater expression of love that God could have done than sending His Son Jesus and Jesus just willingly being obedient to the Father unto death on a cross. There's no greater sign of love or affection that the Father could show us. No matter what you're doing for Him or not doing for Him doesn't earn you greater levels of love from Him. He loves us, period. Before Jesus ever did a miracle, when He was being baptized, the Father spoke from a voice in heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I love. In Him, I am well pleased. This is my Son. Ownership. Identity. We've got to walk in that identity that we know that we are children of the King. Whom I love. He loves us. That's because of affection. Not based on anything we've done for Him. Jesus hadn't done a miracle yet. In whom I'm well pleased. Once again, it's not His pleasure based on what we do, but the pleasure because of our return to love to Him and a life walking in faith. Faith, works are going to be the result of faith. When we're walking in faith, works are the result of it. They just happen. We can't help ourselves. Trinity couldn't help herself. She saw a need. Her heart was filled with her father's love and compassion. She reflected her father, looked like her father, and acted like her father. And others followed her into the parking lot and continued that demonstration. That is a good work. She wouldn't see it that way. That was her just showing God's love. That's what good works are. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Striking a bargain with God cuts at the very heart of the gospel. Lord, if you'll just give me this, I'll do this. How about we walk in faith and we say, Lord, I have your heart I know I have your heart. I know your word. I spend time with you. I'm going to walk my life in faith, not timidly or not in fear. I'm going to walk boldly and confidently in faith, knowing that you speak to me. And if I'm going down this direction, you'll turn me if you want to turn me. You'll warn me if you want to warn me. You'll stop if you want to stop. But you've got my back all throughout. All throughout. Bargaining is reliance on works. James is insisting that we rely on grace. James says, above all, and then you will be condemned. Because he's not just addressing a simple matter of dishonesty, but fundamental lack of faith and denial of grace. 
How do, we, how do we drive this home? How do we apply this to our lives? You might not have had an example or you might not have, you know, you know been willing to kind of blurt out an answer, guys. But upon examination of our lives, are there things that we ask God to justify himself to us? We ask him to prove himself to us before we have that response of affection or that response of faith. Father, you must do this if I'm going to do this. I read the book of Job recently. And I went through, and Job asks 77, and I, it could vary based on you know the translation, but he asks a why question 77 times of God. Why? 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 And he's asking it of God. Why? 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 Why are you allowing me to go through this? Why am I having to endure this? Why don't you just strike me dead? Why? 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 77 times. I'm not going to do 77. That'd be redundant. Maybe abusive. But a lot. That's a lot of why questions. Guess how many of them, guess how many of those why questions got answers? None. Why? Because he doesn't have to justify himself to us. God doesn't have to justify himself to us. As a matter of fact, he, he, asks, he asks a bunch of questions in response. It's really wonderful. Oh, did you put the stars in the sky? Did you? Can you control the, the lightning? Can you withhold the rain? Can you? Did you create the you know, behemoth? Did you do all this? Oh, you, oh, you, no, oh, yeah, I'm not going to justify it. Why? See, a, a why question to God asks for him to justify us. God's not afraid of our, our questions. He is not afraid of our questions that he wants to speak, but we have got to ask the right questions. Why ask God to defend himself? Why? Why did you do this? Why are these clothes in the pile? Why are there dirty dishes in the sink? But what if we say, Lord, how do you want me to respond? Lord, your word says in Romans 28 that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So Lord, how are you going to use this for my good? Show me. How are you going to turn this for your glory and my good? Because I'm looking, Lord, and my eyes are open. Can you show me? those questions God answers. Because we're not asking God to explain himself to us. Lord, what, if anything, am I withholding from you, Lord God? Is there anything that I haven't made you Lord of in my life? Let me know what it is. Yeah, how about that? That dream, you're still operating in self-reliance, Mark. How about you give that dream to me and trust me to bring it about? I'll do that. Yes, Lord. Let our yes be yes. Let our no be no. James has been telling them about the need for patience in the face of suffering. Can we apply that? Do we have a need for patience in the midst of difficulties? Anyone have one, two, five, ten areas of difficulty in their lives right now where you need his patience? It's not our bargains or our deals we make with God that, that, that sways him. It's our faith in just walking with him. And 
let me get to see things from his perspective. The things that that are big according to our perspective, when we're walking beside him, they don't seem quite as big. And we're walking beside him. So we trust him to bring resolution to it. Not, not according to our script. I know how I'd write the script. There's always a hero. There's always multiple heroes. There's always a happy ending. There's always great food. You know. But do we trust his script? Do we trust the way that he unfolds it to us? And are we faithful enough to, to be faithful? Are we full of enough faith to just walk faithfully and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you today and tomorrow and the next day? James has been telling them about the need for patience in the face of suffering. And in the context that immediately follows, we find James prescribing prescribing what as the answer to that. What is the proper response for Christians in trouble? Prayer. In verse 13, he begins talking about the answer. When we read 12 and we read 13 and 14 and we continue on, we have to read them as a continuation of these verses. He, he didn't just all of a sudden abruptly change thought in verse 12 and just move on to a different topic. He continued that, that theme. The alternative to swearing oaths and bargaining with God is prayer. It is prayer. In fact, prayer is his theme that he will drive home for the rest of this, the remaining six, seven verses we have in this. He continues prayer, prayer, prayer. The connection between chapter 5, verse 12, and verse 13 and the rest of the letter is based on the letter's underlying theme of faith. And it takes faith to be a person of prayer. It takes faith to be a woman of prayer. To be a man of prayer. Because prayer takes results out of our hands and puts it into God. See, we're, we're, man, we're people of action. If there was a problem right now, if I threw out a problem right now, I guarantee within 10 minutes we would have people that would, you know, come together and, you know, brainstorm, and we could have a problem solved. We're people of action. Prayer requires faith. It requires us resting in God and not being us the one to be the fixer or the problem solver or the person of action, but to trust God's action. It requires faith. It requires patience. Verse 12. I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to go right into 13. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? then he must pray instead. Is anyone cheerful? He has to sing praises. He has to sing prayers. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. That word restore? The word sozo. And the prayer offered in faith will save, heal, deliver those who are sick. 
and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Verse 18, then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Prayer, 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 prayer. Live a life of faith. Walk in faith. Demonstrate the faith. Pray, pray, pray. We'll get to verses 19 and 20 in a second. You see that common theme? You were looking for it after I got past 13 and 14. Prayer. A common plea from James as he closes out this letter to a church. Pray. The instruction that he gives on how to practice faith. Prayer. Friends, let's not forget for a second who this is written to. Yes, the church. But who made up the church? People who had had a damaged relationship with God. And so they had doubts now. And they had fears. And they had resentment towards God. This is right in this letter. So there's restoration and healing in that relationship between them and God. He's writing it to the church. People who, who their relationships are jacked up. They're betraying one another, talking about one another, slamming one another. All these fires coming out of their mouth and burning up lives because there's, there's damage in relationships. That's who he's writing the letter to. We can all relate on some level to, to, this, to this letter and his plea for us to walk in faith and to pray. The immediate context of praying in verse 13 is what James offers as an alternative to swearing ungodly vows in verse 12. Another example of an ungodly vow is anything that takes the weight upon ourselves. It's very common for people to make vows that have to do with their parents. Well, when I'm a father, I will never do that with my kids. That's an ungodly vow, friends. Even if it's a good intention, it's an ungodly vow. Because it's putting the weight upon yourself, saying, I'm the one that's in control. I call the shots. I'm holding the reins. And I will never do that when I'm a dad. I'm a mom. When I'm this, when I'm that. When I'm calling the shots, if I were a pastor, I'd never do that. It's an ungodly vow. If I was the boss, I'd never do this. Ungodly vows. And he says, don't do them. But walk in faith. In James's view, oaths and prayers are simply the expression of the underlying themes of unbelief and faith. We make oaths because we lack faith to think that God will be there for us. And so we've got to make we gotta make oaths, we've got to make vows, we've got to strike deals with God for him to show up. But our prayers are in alignment with faith. Because James is a man of faith, he has a passion for prayer. Friends, if we are people of faith, we have got to be passionate for prayer. 
Let's go to those last two verses. My brethren, once again, has James changed context? Has he changed the theme? So as we read these last two verses, think about that theme of prayer. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If any of you strays from the truth, the truth, strays from the truth, what is the truth? What is the truth that a brother stray from? There's so many of them. God just doesn't love me. God doesn't get me. God has failed me. He's not hearing me. God's mad at me. This is the type of lie that we're to turn people from and into the truth of what? He loves you. Look, I don't have all the answers. I don't know why you're going through this, but I know you're not alone. He's walking with you. Have you prayed? Have you talked to him? No, I'm too angry to pray. Oh, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Talk to him. Talk to him. Don't, don't withhold your voice from him. Talk to him. I know, I know you don't have all the answers. I know you're hurting, but please talk to him. He's dying to hear you. He's your daddy. He loves you. Talk to him. What's the truth we're to turn people from? You can make it. God is bigger. God is bigger than this. I don't look big, but it's just a shadow. As a matter of fact, it's the valley of the shadow. It's just amplified. It's dark. And it's, it, it, I understand, it's scary. But it's just amplified. Look to God. He's bigger. That's the truth. I don't have the strength to make it through this. I can't do this. Yes, you can. But you've got to pray. You've got to connect with God. You've got to walk in faith. You've got to believe in Him. Those things that are opposite of your belief, get rid of them. Cast them out. Those voices in your life that are speaking contrary to God's truth, shut them off. The truth is that God loves you even if the relationship has been damaged. That's what He told the church. That's what James is driving home to the church. Even if your relationship with God has been damaged, He loves you, and it's not over. Pray. We're going to cover prayer in the next couple weeks as we wrap this up. But we're going to see. He, he gives instruction about prayer. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Sing songs of prayer. Have the elders pray for you. I don't care what you do or who you do it with, but please let prayer be a part of it. Please let dialogue with, with God be part of it. Please let communion and fellowship with God be part of it. It's awesome. Read it, guys. It's you know this is the Tarantino movie. We know where we're going. We're we're finishing up James chapter five. There's no curves at the end. Study it. Read it. Ask God to, to make His Word come alive to us. Pray, 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 pray. Walk in faith. The truth is, He wants to mend and heal that broken relationship that may have been caused by doubt or disappointment or hurt. The truth is, if you have enough faith to pray, God will reply with His loving hand. There was one time, a friend of mine, this was just out after college, they said they didn't believe in God. They, had, you know, they didn't believe that God was real, that if He was real, there was no love there. 
And I said, if you have the faith to do something that's just radical, because you say you don't believe there's God, but if you if you have the faith to pray to that God that you don't even believe is there, say, God, if you're there, show your love to me. If you are, if you are bold enough, if you are strong enough to pray that prayer, I promise you God will answer. And he will reveal his love to you. And he will change your life forever. I said, do you have the guts to do that? Yeah, I'll do that. It won't do any good. That friend ended up giving his life to the Lord because God responded to that prayer. Friends, what are the prayers that we're just too weary to pray right now? What are the prayers that we're just too tired of praying it so we've just stopped? Are we quick to pray for others? Are we quick to pray for others? Are we quick to grab others alongside? Are we quick to teach people how to pray? Well, I don't know how to pray. Oh, it's so easy. Just just talk to God. Nothing formal. Nothing religious. Just talk to God. And then pause long enough to listen for him to speak back. Does anything come alive in you when I make this statement? Anyone want to turn a brother back to the Father? Anybody want to turn the lost and the hurting into the grace and the love of the Father? When I, when I say that statement, does something come alive in you? There's a way to do that, and it is for prayer. It is through prayer. Praying for that person. Praying with that person. Friends, let's demonstrate our faith. Let's become people of prayer. Let's grow in our love and the importance of prayer as God grows the faith in us. Amen.